0: Cinematalk, the podcast of the UW Cinematheque. This is Mike King. I'm a programmer here. When tickets went on sale for our Wisconsin Film Festival this spring, one of the first titles to sell out was the documentary Narrowsburg. To make up for those canceled screenings, we're offering it as our free streaming selection this week. A corrupt regional film festival is at the center of this hilariously entertaining true crime documentary, which doubles as a head-spinning cautionary tale about the allure of the spotlight. Narrowsburg, New York, was a sleepy hamlet along the Delaware River when Richie and Jocelyn Castellano rolled into town and declared that they would turn it into the Sundance of the East. An ingratiating grifter whose sole claim to fame was a bit part in the Billy Crystal, Robert De Niro mob comedy Analyze This... Richie charmed the whole town into a collective movie fever. In quick succession, he launched the Richard Castellano School of Acting, the Narrowsburg International Independent Film Festival, and enlisted seemingly every one of Narrowsburg's 414 souls into the production of a derivative mob movie entitled Four Deadly Reasons. Needless to say, none of these panned out quite as the local investors had hoped. Director Martha Shane snags interviews with all parties involved who spin a Rashomon-like tale packed with surprise twists, big personalities, and dashed dreams. Shane also dares to call into question the larger economics of the independent film landscape, where profits are scarce and desperation can too often turn aspiring artists into willing marks. The Cinematheque is able to offer a limited number of opportunities to view Narrowsburg at home for free. To receive your link to view the movie at home, send an email to info and simply write Narrowsburg in the subject line or the first line of the email, and we'll send you the link. This week on the podcast, we welcome the director of Narrowsburg, Martha Shane. Her first film, After Tiller, co-directed with Lana Wilson, premiered at the 2013 Sundance Film Festival, and went on to win an Emmy Award for Best Documentary when it was broadcast as part of the POV series on PBS. Narrowsburg began its run in the Camden and Doc NYC Film Festivals in late 2019. Martha had been scheduled to present it in person at the Wisconsin Film Festival in April, and we're delighted to have her join us on this week's podcast. Here's our conversation. Martha Shane, welcome to Cinema Talk. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So, Narrowsburg is a head-spinning tale about a couple of con artists who use cinema itself to defraud a small town, both through the production of a film that never comes to fruition and a bogus film festival. Your documentary features interviews with both the perpetrators and the victims of this scam, And I'm curious how you were able to get all these people on board to publicly discuss a story in which they might not come off well. Because on the one hand, you know, the Castellanos might have something to hide. And on the other, you can imagine the same townspeople who were hoodwinked by one filmmaker might be especially wary of becoming involved with the second.
1: Yeah, um, that is very (laughs) accurate, I think, on all counts. Um, Yeah, so With the Castellanos, it was a very different process getting the Castellanos involved versus the townspeople. Um, And so for Jocelyn Castellano, she had already gotten in trouble by the time um, I was starting to work on this film. I first wrote to her when she was actually in jail Um, and she ended up being deported, and so then I was able to arrange to meet with her in Europe um, once she had headed overseas, and she said she was tough. We had a lot of long conversations about this, but I think she had felt that she had been wrongly kind of accused and that she wanted to make the case for her innocence, and she told me ultimately that her son convinced her to do it because he said, you know, you need to put That chapter of your life in America at rest, like once and for all. And then with Richard Casolano, he was difficult in a different way. He was actually very hard to track down at all um, because he was often, you know, people were always after him for money or, you know, according to him, trying to kill him. So he didn't, he wasn't someone who wanted to be easily found. Um, But once we finally got in touch with him, actually through his son, um, he was super friendly and he had um, me and my co-producer over for um, a tag. Italian wedding soup that he made and he introduced us to his cat Josephine and he was like, you know, surprisingly warm and just kind of, um, you know, you definitely had that sort of like charismatic, it could sense, you know, the charisma that kind of like got the people of Narrowsburg all swept up. Um, and then, but it was interesting because um, kind of as a side note, like when he came to the interview. He was like, you know, much more like brusque at first. And he was like, you know, I got to go meet a guy after this. And he like gestures for me to come over. And he opens up this bag that he's carrying. And there's like a handgun inside. So I was like, okay, so you got to (laughs) go shoot someone after this. Okay, cool. And it wasn't like clear. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Really (laughs) smooth move. Um, It was also just like what is this? Like, do you really have to go meet a guy? Are you like trying to make sure like I only feed you like softball questions? Like just trying to show, you know, that he's the real deal guy. It was, it was interesting moment. Um, and uh yeah so then um with the people in narrowsburg um you know i think it was basically i think this is very common with stories like this there's so much shame associated with being scammed Mm -hmm. that um the people who had kind of lost the most were the most difficult to get on board um i think Zach, you know, one of our main characters who was a kid when this all happened, he was kind of, he was pretty open to it because he's a storyteller himself. Um, And I think, you know, he didn't lose a lot of money. But yeah, it was the people who had lost the most money, took the most conversations. And there were still, you know, certainly people in the town who were, you know, even after a lot of conversations... um, just were like, you know, this is too traumatic for me to really talk about again. Um, But yeah, there's definitely that thing of like, um, you know, trying to, wanting to do right by them. This film like took a surprisingly long time to make. Um, It was really hard to like raise money. That's true for every film, but really hard to raise money. Um, And so, but I kept being motivated by feeling like, well, I can't like, scam can't be another filmmaker that scams the people of Narrowsburg. So. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean like I'm you say being things. scammed feels especially vulnerable something to open up to. And even if Zach wasn't, you know, didn't lose money, I mean his heart was in it, you feel like yes. more than a lot of the other people. Um and Richie, on the other hand, comes across as someone who just like can't resist the camera. You know, I mean he even says at one point, I'm interesting, the story sucks. And it's like, the story sucks only if you're inside of it. You know, for us, it's an amazing ride. Um, And I guess this sort of brings up the question of how the Narrowsburg residents have responded to your film, Um, because it's really entertaining, you know, from our perspective, but is it still perhaps a little raw there?
1: yes definitely and i'm glad that you mentioned that line because there was a lot of debate in the edit room about like wait if we let him say the story sucks is the audience then going to be like man good good point this story does suck <laughs> um, but um yeah so we actually the i think the second time we publicly screened this film like you know pre-covid days um was at the this film festival called the big Eddie film Festival and I guess for about 10 years after the Castellanos were in narrowsburg no one could say utter the words film festival without you know everyone kind of like going cold um, but after those 10 years had passed the um, arts Alliance in the town decided to try launching another film festival so I did um a screening of the film there and it was really surprisingly a different experience mm-hmm. than um maybe not surprisingly but it was it was a very different experience i think the town welcomed it very warmly and it was amazing to have like you know 18 people from the town on stage um during the q a or whatever but um I, I think you know i was very i was sitting in the audience very nervous because i'm used to you know a decent amount of kind of laughter um it's kind of a dark comedy in yeah. some ways i think and um and so i'm used to that when screening it with audiences and that had been the case certainly in like the first public screening we'd done and there just was a lot less of that mm-hmm. it was just clear that it was a lot more personal and um you know, so I was like, oh, God, like, how are they going to react? But yeah, luckily it was very it was a really positive reception. And a lot of people came up to me and were like, this feels very cathartic for the town. You know, it feels like we can finally put this era of our history to rest, um, especially, you know, for the whole time. You know, I think Narrowsburg now has changed a lot since. um the era when the Castellanos were there—it's—it's it's really like a lot more people have moved up from the city, and um, and so you had like yeah the the new the newcomers the new fresh blood who are sort of like seeing this crazy part of the town's history for the first time, and then you had the old timers who were like and some people actually said it was kind of difficult to watch because mm-hmm. just going back and reliving that that era but um i think i think for most people they said it was cathartic and felt like you know good therapy
0: that sounds like a super intense screening
1: <laughs> it was it was super intense and it was kind of amazing cuz like you know the town's population You know, it is very, very, very tiny. Mm -hmm. Like, at the time that the story took place, it was like 400 people. And so, like, I think we screened the film total for about 500 people over the course of that weekend. (laughs) So I was like, I think we might have showed it to everyone in town.
0: Wow. (laughs) Um, It seems a slightly open question in the film whether the Castellanos necessarily rolled into town rubbing their palms together. Or if, at least to some extent, this whole thing kind of got away from them? I mean, on the one hand, you doubt they would ever have paid anyone back, ever. But at the same time, you get the impression that Richie, at least, craved the spotlight as much as anyone he was exploiting.
1: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think a lot of people, and you guys could probably speak to this as well, is like, a lot of people have said, like, why would you start a film festival as like a scam. Like as scams go yeah. like that's not a very like lucrative one. It truly like um, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um so I think like uh yeah I mean I I think Personally, where I come down on it is, you know, I think Richie truly did want to star in a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, like, he was, like, at the beginning when things were going well, like, I think he was, like, at the top of the world, really. Um, He loved that adulation that he got when, when Analyze This came out and everyone could see him on the big screen, and that was really exciting. And then, you know, the film festival, yeah, again, like, I do think you have to imagine that they thought... That this could really work, they they believed that they could pull this off at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's it's a question of yeah, they probably had these big dreams, um, but then the difference between them between them and maybe you know people who aren't con artists is, um, you know, they don't. I don't think they necessarily cared so much who they hurt. If people got hurt, I don't think they're going to be that we're losing that much sleep over it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but I think, you know, there's a moment in the film where like Richie, where I was asking Richie about, you know, this, this moment that the whole town remembers as like the moment they learned that they were being scammed um, this like screening, mm-hmm. this kind of failed film premiere. And um, Richie's like, I don't remember like it, like that you know i i remember people wearing tuxedos and people are always like well do you believe him do you think he's lying about not romantic but i actually think like there is this ability to like you know if you say if you tell yourself a certain story and you keep repeating it to yourself over and over again like you are Going to be begin to believe that, and I think that's true for everyone, uh, not just con artists. Like we're all kind of rewriting our own histories all the time, um, but I think it might be like even more profoundly true for um, people like
0: people like that. Absolutely. One of the things that I wonder about when I watch this movie is if there's anything particular to Narrowsburg that, you know, made it susceptible to this. Like, why Narrowsburg is something that I ask myself. And, of course, it's just the circumstance, I guess, on some level. But, I mean, do you think that the story could happen anywhere? Or is, it ju- is there something about, like, a smaller town like this that made it more susceptible?
1: Um, I think that... I definitely think that the small town helps. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think that Jocelyn did go on to do something in in New York City that was also fraudulent. and um, So I think, like, you can pull these things off anywhere, but I think that the way that they sort of, like, rallied the town behind them I think is a lot easier in a small place that might not have a lot of, like, Filmmakers coming through town or actors or film shoots. It's just easier to kind of impress people. And it was easier for him to meet everyone. All you had to do is go into the, what they had back then was the Chatterbox Cafe. Mm -hmm. And he'd buy everyone a cup of coffee in the morning. And suddenly he, you know, was close with all the. People in town I think I think it's really a small town thing. I don't think it's a narrowsburg thing, um, but I think small towns, like when you get the right con artist, I and mean, this is the story of the music man, you mm-hmm. know. You get the right con artist and you get the right small town, like it can really <laughs> it can really happen.
0: You mentioned this amazing footage you have in the movie from the second Narrowsburg International Independent Film Festival, I guess I should say, is the official title. Um, You know, and speaking as someone who puts on a film festival, it just makes you want to crawl under your seat. Um, At least the first time I saw it, you know, now in quarantine, I'm like hey, that looks pretty good to me, you know, I go to anything now. Um, but in particular, there's a point when the actor comedian Pat Cooper is like, I'm seeing an event, it seems like, and he comes pretty close to calling the whole thing out, like right in front of everyone. And then he's horrified to discover that he's being filmed. And it's this amazing moment that you've captured. And I, you know, what did it feel like, I guess, to discover that footage now?
1: Yeah, it was so... I mean, I love kind of like archive work. And um, yeah, that was such an incredible discovery. I basically, the way it all came about was that there was a guy who had been Richie's stand-in in analyzed this. And Richie had invited him to the Narrowsburg Film Festival, uh, Narrowsburg International Independent Film Festival. <laughs> and um, he had... Um, just filmed like this digital like super eight stuff like throughout the whole festival he was filming and um yeah and he sent me these tapes he's like i can't really remember what's on it that was true with like a lot of this the way i found a lot of this stuff um is yeah i can't really remember what's on it but it was mostly you know it was like like hours and hours of, like, himself at Disney World with his girlfriend, (laughs) and then it was, like, then just this, like, amazing footage from Narrowsburg right at the end. So, yeah, I feel like I was, like, such... And a lot of the other, like, even, like, news archive, like, TV news archive clips, like, none of that stuff existed, you know, in the television station's archives, but it was just, like, I found someone who had, like, recorded it on vhs at the time and um so yeah it was one of the most like fun though incredibly frustrating parts of this Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's trying to convince everyone to give me that stuff but the way it's (laughs) weaved together
0: is really beautiful i love it like they keep on being more and more thing you know different kinds of footage that are introduced into the movie it's awesome
1: yeah i love that i also just love that look of like 90s um yeah just that that look whenever it was like transitioning between film and digital, and it's yeah really interesting There's a in lot of pleasure texture. in the different
0: formats that we see throughout the movie, yeah, so I guess this in some ways leads into you know the idea of movies themselves. Your film has a lot to say about the allure of cinema, not only for the glamour we might associate with like red carpet premieres but also you know movies as a dream factory. Uh, this is something you underline by weaving in these clips from classic Hollywood movies. So we see these gleaming, beautiful images that sometimes seem to represent the maybe the desires of your characters or maybe people reference Hollywood movies to make sense of their own lives. And it shows you know how deeply we're impacted by movies.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's that was really like a big part of what we were trying to do. With the film was to, you know, sort of show the way that um, people's dreams are sort of filtered through, like, the cinema that they see. Um, and I think, like, you know, the I think it's interesting to me just sort of the way that, you know, while I was working on this, like, I spent a lot of time watching like films that are that Hollywood has made about itself, and to sort of see the the way that they've like told their own story mm-hmm. in a way that will like capture people's imaginations, and you can just see that um, like in the the way that the town of Narrow'sburg like responds to this idea of like every, like the idea that like they're gonna be movie stars, you know, mm-hmm. like that's that's like we we have that dream. People have that dream because like Hollywood has sold us this idea that that is the dream, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> in their own um... And then yeah, I think that I think it's so true. And I mean I think you've like in terms of like the the process of like making a film, it's so much you have to kind of believe in it and keep on saying that it's going to happen until it happens. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people are like, Oh, you're, then you're a filmmaker, or it doesn't happen, and then you're a scam artist, so.
0: (laughs) Right, I mean, when you watch these movies, I mean, you mentioned these Hollywood movies, I feel like maybe they're upbeat for the first couple reels, but often, you know, they love a caustic look as well. Um, But part of what you identify with is you imagine yourself, you're the hero of the narrative, you know, but in the documentary version, you could just as easily be the mark, you know, you don't realize it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's definitely
0: totally true. <laughs> um, another thing that your film shows is that you don't have to be very far up the ladder at all for Hollywood to have this kind of sway over people. I mean, Richie's entire resume is pretty much a small part in Analyze This, but somehow that's enough to get everybody's imaginations running wild. I mean, he's not even in Analyze That. You know, it's a pretty faint brush with stardom. Uh, it's not like Robert Redford showing up in Park City. You know what I mean? Um, And yet it's incredible in your movie how we hear the title, Analyze This, repeated again and again. And it takes on this, like, totemic significance of success. Um, You know, are you surprised that that's all it takes, kind of? You know, just a little bit and analyze this?
1: You know, um... I was surprised at first. I think, um, yeah, it is like analyze this is like this holy object yeah. or something like worship at the altar of analyze this. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think I, at first I was surprised, but then I guess, I don't know, I tried to think about yeah, like there is this idea, this this weirdness of the experience of like seeing someone in the flesh. Who you also see on the big mm-hmm. screen. Like, there fe- feels like most of the time there's such a vast gap between those of us who are, you know, down here in civilian life and then the stars of Hollywood, the people who make it to the, you know, to the big screen. And so I think, like, I kind of do get, like, why that would be like, oh my God, it's like he just walked out mm-hmm. of the movie and into our lives, you know? And the fact that he was, that Richie was playing the same character you know, that he was, he acted in real life exactly the same way he acted and analyzed this, you know, given he only had five lines, but in (laughs) those five lines, um, I think that, yeah, that does kind of make sense to me. And I, yeah, I also think that, like, there is so much, you know, I, I think I feel like that there's, there's people who I'm always surprised by this, who like, you know, so there's a lot of kind of scammy film festivals out Mm -hmm. there probably don't have to tell you this but um but i've always i've been surprised to see like people can make a career a life out of sort of you know like participating in the you know making one film participating in these sort of what i would you know maybe i'm like a snob describe as like scammy film festivals getting photos of themselves in front of a you know, on a red carpet, in front of a step and repeat, posting on Facebook, someone else says, oh, you're a filmy girl? Well, cool, I want to do this. You can kind of make that hustle Mm -hmm. work. Yeah, and, you know, so you can kind of turn this scam into, you know, reality. Yeah. Like, yeah. What we're saying.
0: Um, You mentioned that Richie sort of comes off the screen, you know, as the same character. Um, and for him, the idea of being a mobster almost seems to have as much allure as being a film star. You know, like you said, he walks around like he's in some knockoff Scorsese movie. Um, do you think in some ways that being a criminal was aspirational for him?
1: Um I think... I think it's probably somewhat the opposite. I feel like he probably um, became a criminal because he had, like, a tough life growing up. He, he um, you know, was raised, like, in a very poor family. Um, his mother was in and out of, like, mental institutions and his dad wasn't was locked up and he went to he always told people he would robbed a mm-hmm. bank but he actually robbed a shoe store in park slope brooklyn um and he got sent away to jail and so i think that like it was more that cinema gave him gave him away a language for like glamorizing right, yeah. that life that he had yeah and um and he just like went for it, you know. <laughs>
0: um, so I would like to, you started to get into film festivals in general, um, and I'd like to get a little bit more into that here um, and start with a bit of a tangent here. Um, so is 1999 when Jocelyn and Richie started the Narrowsburg International Independent Film Festival. 1999 was also the year that our Wisconsin Film Festival was launched. And much as Narrowsburg promoted itself as like the Sundance of the East. The original planners of what was then called the Great Wisconsin Film Festival also made some similarly cringe-inducing proclamations. Um, It was initially going to be put on by the Wisconsin Department of Tourism, who promised an event here in Madison that would glitter with Hollywood stars and feature the premieres of several national releases. And among other things, they indicated they were going to give Robert Redford would be appearing to receive something called the Cheesehead Award which, you know, you can imagine on his mantle next to his Oscars, right? And anyways, you know, things didn't go as planned. It came out, Redford never even responded to the invitation. You have to imagine a huge part of his life is just dodging things like this all the time. Um, And the tourism people essentially dropped out in shame, and the event was rescued by a group of extremely dedicated film students and arts administrators at the university who put on a very respectable first year of like an upright regional film fest, set us on the right course. You know, they showed stuff like The Cruise by Bennett Miller, um, Sadie Benning movies, uh, retrospective stuff by Andy Warhol, Sam Fuller. So it's like a good weekend. Sounds like a great weekend to me, but it's not exactly like red carpet stuff. Now, I mean, I don't want to suggest at all that The original outsized plans for the Wisconsin Film Festival would have been a scam in any kind of way. This isn't like nefarious as much as just kind of embarrassing. But I want to bring it up because it does speak to how film festivals, especially in smaller places removed from the industry, can represent something very different from an opportunity to experience great cinema to certain kinds of people, you know? As with Narrowsburg, there seems to be this idea that you could make an industrial hub out of thin air, and you can glom on to, you know, the the headlines. Um, do you find that to be the case in a larger sense, you know?
1: Yeah, that's, it's so interesting. Yeah, no, I love this reveal of the secret <laughs> history of the Wisconsin Film Festival. I mean, I should say that's nobody so from great.
0: that era of the festival has been involved for a very long time, <laughs> you know, so, you know, but... Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I actually at one point googled Sundance of the East. Uh-huh. Um, and it turned out, you know, a lot of film festivals yeah. use that as their, um, like, <laughs> so it totally, you know, I think there's something, yeah, there's something very similar. I think at the beginning of anything, there's a tendency to try to, like, make it sound bigger than it is right you feel like oh to get anyone's attention we have to use the words glitter and stars and you know like it has to be this like this big hollywood Mm -hmm. kind of feeling um and so yeah so it totally makes sense to me i think that's like a very natural response to like the need to sell something and there's nothing like wrong with that necessarily um i think like maybe yeah i think that i I think what happened in narrowsburg even like the first year that they put on the film festival like uh, it was kind of good and they did have like some people who were kind of like stars Mm -hmm. like stars on the level of richie castellano having five lines in this Mm -hmm. you know and so who am i to say that that's not no i mean that can be good (laughs) you know i guess guess.
0: it's just i I feel like there's a way in which you know people try to oversell it that is you know
1: (laughs) yeah i think there's this way yeah exactly you're totally right yeah it's this way that people try to oversell it and based on this idea that that's what the audience wants when I think like, you know, the way you're describing the Wisconsin Film Festival ultimately happening with like a really good lineup and like a bunch of like students putting it together people from the that's like actually maybe what people want and maybe the better thing is to just like focus on that and not try to say we're gonna have a red carpet Um, yeah i mean that's what's
0: allowed us to last right you know um (laughs)
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah that's why you didn't Go the way of the Narrowsburg International Independent Film Festival.
0: Um, It sometimes feels like there is a glut of film festivals. You know, Um, you mentioned that there are these scammy ones. If you go on a site like Film Freeway, like a submissions site, you know, there's thousands of festivals on there with wildly varying levels of legitimacy. As a filmmaker yourself trying to get your movie seen, how do you navigate this?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Like, I feel like, um, like I'm lucky cause I've just kind of been in this world for long enough that I kind of like mm, have a vague idea of the reputation of a lot of film festivals. Um, but if you're going in there with your first film and you're not, especially if you're not in New York or LA or, you know, if you're not part of like a community of filmmakers, I feel like it's, so easy to just get totally ripped off and the fees that are being charged are like enormous so I think um for me like I think you know I'm I and I I guess I'm like I've done a lot of like story scam stories now so I guess I have a good nose for it I'd like to think I have a good nose for it I'll probably get scammed (laughs) next year but but um but yeah, I think it's just, you have to like ask around and contact other filmmakers who've been to those festivals and see what, it, you know, really, ha- what it was really like. Because I think a lot of the festivals that are charging $65 to for a submission fee are actually like a TV in the basement of a hotel somewhere. Wow. And that's kind of shitty. And and not only that, I mean, it gets even crazier where there's like these online contests or online film festivals, which, you know, it's different now. Everything's online now with COVID. But prior, it was like, wait, you're asking people to charge, you're charging people money to screen your film, screen their film on the internet? Like, that's not... (laughs) real <laughs> uh. what is that so yeah i feel it's tough for people navigating mm-hmm. um
0: I mean, and this can also call into question the larger economics of the independent film landscape, you know, because profits are scarce all around, but, you know, it can be especially hard on artists um, who frequently are offered, you know, exposure by way of compensation in the hopes that there's going to be some magical domino effect that'll be some big payday, which of course is, you know, the rarest of exceptions. Um, and I wonder, you know, with a film that is sort of about this, have you encountered, you mentioned earlier, I guess that, you know, it was hard to find funding. Did you encounter any sort of resistance in sort of talking about this issue?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, um, I think, yeah, it's obviously like hard to raise money when you're like, Hey, my, you're like, your pitch is like, I'm making a film about like, film fraud, film world yeah. fraud. Like, immediately, if you have to say the word fraud, film fraud in your pitch, that idea is in people's minds, I think. And so then you're, like, already, like, it's a challenge from there. Um, and I think, like, I I was really worried that I will not like, find the money to finish this film. And, and I kept imagining, like, okay, so I made this film. Of, I was working on this film about, like, an attempt to make a film and someone else would come along and make a film about me attempting to make my film. And it just go on like that, like forever with like telescoping films about films. Um, (laughs) So it was really, yeah. um, But yeah, I think definitely in terms of like trying to raise money, it was tough. Not a lot of people were that excited about it. It's always tough. But and then also like when I like showing the film to industry people, um, like, sales Mm -hmm. agents and stuff, like, the reaction was really interesting. Like, very, from some people, like, extremely negative or kind of like, I don't know, I'm too close to this to really, like, judge it, Um, because this is, like, my life, kind of. And so I thought that was really interesting. And, yeah, I mean, you always want to, like, presume the rejections are because of the... Corruption of the system, but um, I don't know. So, for they probably are. You know, it was probably just wasn't their thing. But I do think like it w- felt like very uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about.
0: Well, I mean, the film is good enough to have risen out of any of that. You know, of course, and now it's out there for everyone <laughs> to see and enjoy. Um, yes. <laughs> looping back to the movie itself, you know, uh, one of the things that makes it more entertaining as a true crime story is that it's you know mercifully bloodless you know, in this today's landscape of these kind of movies, um, you know, people maybe have lost their savings, but you know, they survived and you can make the case that some of them even had a degree of excitement or possibility injected into their lives. Um, you know, it feels like a, even a relationship that maybe ends with a bad breakup. There's still a time when the relationship was exciting, right? Do you feel like this is the case for anyone in Narrowsburg?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, I think that a lot of people do feel like the story having getting to tell the story was worth it. Um and I think like the yeah, it depends there's some sort of calculation out there where it's like How much money does someone have? How much money do they lose? And how good is the story, right? And so there's a sweet spot where the story can be kind of almost worth it, I think. And yeah, I think in general, it's sort of like, you know, if you... People probably, you know, tend to be happier if they can, like, look back at something bad that happened and say, but yeah, it was really fun along the way instead of sort of looking at the ending and saying, oh, well, it ended badly, so it must have been all a nightmare from the start. Um, So I think, yeah, I think there's definitely people who, and I, I think arguably that, like, You know, putting this idea of film in Narrowsburg, like, in everyone's heads back then may have, like, had some impact on the fact that, you know, they do now have a film festival. um, And they do, they, you know, there's actually a bunch of filmmakers who live up there. And um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's not a total... Lost. I think those stories are more boring to me, like the stories where it's just like everyone lost everything and there was no, nothing came out of it. But I think a lot came out of this.
0: Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your film with us.
1: Thank you.